I uh, love the words there at the end of the video that we watched. I may not look a lot like Jesus, but I want to be like him. I want to act like him. That's a great segue into the message this morning. Last week, we started a brand new series entitled Checking Out Jesus, <coughs> and Doug gave us an overview of how Jesus was presented in the Gospels and how each of the four Gospel writers, in their own way and in their own style, invites us to check out Jesus. And I would encourage you to go view it online if you weren't here last week. I know we had some bad weather last week, but yeah, if you didn't get to see it, then go do that. I uh, was not here last week, so I went to check that out for myself this week. And it's just a really good foundation for what we think is just a great series of messages. You may think differently after this one, but uh, it's a great series of messages that's going to take us right up through Easter as we check out Jesus together. So while last week was sort of an introduction into checking out Jesus, this week we're going to wade a little further out into the water, so to speak, and uh, we're going to take a look at the message of Jesus. What was the primary, the core, the main message of Jesus to the people? Now, if you've ever done any public speaking, then uh, and you've had to prepare a speech or a lecture or a talk, then you've probably been told that what you need to do at some point in the process is to be able to summarize your speech in one sentence. And it works the same way with preaching. So when I prepare a message like this one, I try to get to a place where I can articulate the message in just one sentence. Now, if you've never done this, then you might, and maybe public speaking's not your thing, you might be surprised at how challenging this can actually be. Um, but, uh, I mean, imagine boiling down the American Revolution into one sentence. I didn't hear Dan talking about the American Revolution. Uh, <laughs> uh, Lord of the Rings, in one sentence, in one succinct statement, or uh, Tolstoy's War and Peace, or let's bring it to the Bible, Book of Genesis. Book of Genesis has so much in it. And uh, how would we boil that down into one statement? Or the Book of Psalms, Book of Revelation. How do you get that in one sentence and boil it down? It would be a challenge, but that's kind of what we're doing here Today, we are taking on the task of summing up all of the teachings of Jesus. What if we did this? If we summed up all of the teachings of Jesus in only one sentence, everything that he said and taught and preached during the three years of his public ministry here on earth. Now, remember that John tells us later that we only have a little bit of what Jesus did and said, recorded. There was a whole lot more that we do not have in the scriptures. But based on what we do have, how would we boil that all down? All that he said and taught and did and, and preached, all of the object lessons that he gave about you know fig trees and vines and branches and fruit and all that other stuff, the parables that he used to teach. We're after this question. What was the essential message of Jesus. For my part, I think that Matthew does a great job saying it succinctly. He put it in, uh, in one little sentence, which later on became a verse. It's in uh, Matthew 4, reads like this. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God 
for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and turn for the sake of the kingdom. This is the essential message of Jesus. And I want to spend our time today, I want to zoom in on this word, repent. Repent is one of those words that can evoke a, an, an emotional response in people. You know, there are other words like that. Uh, think of, uh, so here, here's what I want you to do, right? You just uh, use your imaginations here and you get this picture in your head, okay? Imagine a preacher standing behind a pulpit and there's a crowd of people in front of him and this preacher is telling the crowd, repent, okay? You got that? image in your mind for if you grew up like I did, then it doesn't take a lot of effort to imagine that. Um, so what I'm going to do is ask you this. What are you feeling there? You get that picture. What's your initial emotional response to that picture that you have in your mind's eye right now? I'm going to ask you just a quick show of hands for one of these two emotional reaction, whichever one uh, you, you know, you identify with most. So first, if when you hear the word repent, and again, you're seeing that, that preacher behind that pulpit saying repent to the crowd, when you hear that word in that picture, raise your hand if you immediately feel like it's something positive, like something safe, something uh, experience that's reassuring. How many people connect with that right away? All right. Okay. You are the first two people to raise your hand for that in all our services. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so if when you hear the word repent, you, it immediately strikes you as harsh or judgmental, maybe even a little threatening, if that's how you connected with that picture right away, raise your hand. Yeah. Vast majority of us connect with it in a negative way. And I want you to hear me this morning. That is so unfortunate. It should not be that way. And what I hope to do this morning is that by the end of this message, those of you who had a negative reaction to that word uh, will come to see this word repent and this issue of repentance in a whole new light. Come to see it for what it really is, which is a beautiful word that is filled with grace and filled with hope. Now, all of you who uh, raised your hands, you know, connected with that in a negative way, I want you to know that for most of my spiritual journey, so did I. So did I. I viewed repentance as just a nasty little beast of a word. And I didn't like it because every time I heard it, it made me feel like God was disappointed in me. Or God was angry with me for something that I did or something that I didn't do. And so this word repent made me pretty uncomfortable. Like every time I heard the word, I'd be cringing inside. I would be wincing. I saw God kind of like this guy. Angry preacher dude who's just saying turn or burn, right? For me, this word repent took on a meaning that went something like this. God is angry at me and disappointed in me when I'm trying to arrange just for some kind of pleasure in this life, right? And in order, it, it, but he wants me to be serious all the time, just serious, just like he's serious all the time and never has any fun. And that's how I need to be too. And so in order to rid me of something pleasant that I found in my life, God punishes me with 
repentance. He, use it, he uses it as like a rod of discipline. To repent, I thought, is God's way of making sure that the rest of my life would be boring and dull and joyless. So from early on in my journey, repentance became a word that I couldn't stand. I wanted to distance myself from this word. This was a, a word that needed to be avoided rather than pursued. And it wasn't until much later that I began to understand what repentance really is. And I recognized it and recognize it today for the blessing and the amazing gift of grace from God that it actually is. So as I said, I want to key in on this word repent today in the hopes that we will all come to see it as God's gracious gift, something for which we can be grateful, something to be appreciated, and something to be valued. Because the truth is this, every time God says repent, it is his gracious invitation to something better. That's the truth. So you get that picture in your mind again of the you know, uh, preacher saying repent to the crowd. I want you to allow this statement to just wash over that picture. Every time God says repent, it is a gracious invitation to something better. This is today's message in only one sentence. So what is repentance? What is it, and why should I care about it, and what is it about repentance that makes that word so amazing and so grace-filled and hope-filled, and how does it work? What does it look like in my life, and as always, what is the to-do? What do we do with what we're hearing today? That's where we're headed here this morning. So what is repentance? Repentance has to do with real-life change. Not superficial change, like, you know, it's, it's the week between Christmas and New Year's, and it's like, all right, my New Year's resolution is to get into the gym. And we had our gyms in, all across Rochester were probably filled with people those first two or three weeks in January, probably by now in mid-March, it's, it's kind of getting back to normal. But, um, you know, people with superficial change, we're not talking about that. We're talking about, you know, like, oh, oh yeah, I'm going to change this in my life. And then so I stop doing something and then three or four days later, I'm right back there to that thing. OK, that's not repentance. Repentance is real and lasting life change. So whenever you hear the word repent, you can immediately think and associate with it the word change. It's real change. So. There are a lot of definitions that we could give for this word repentance. I've heard dozens of them, and I'm sure that along the way I've memorized uh, you know, a few of them and learned a few of them. Here's one that I came up with that we're going to use as our working definition this morning because I think it encapsulates this uh, idea of uh, what repentance is from all angles. Okay, This is it. Repentance is when I cooperate with God in his efforts to transform me. Repentance is when I cooperate with God. It requires something of me. I don't just sit back and be like, all right, God, ready. You know, flick the repentance switch and, and bring immediate lasting change to my life. It doesn't work like that. It's a process. And I play a role in it. So I cooperate with God in his ongoing efforts. And believe me, in my life, it is definitely ongoing. 
ongoing efforts to transform me, to transform my character. You see, God has a plan for change, and it works. He, but in our lives, he wants to change us, he wants to transform us. But step one in that process, step one is repentance. And this has always been his plan from the early chapters of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. You had Old Testament prophets, right? Think Jonah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and all those uh, guys with you know, the two or three page books towards the end of the Old Testament in your Bible, Nahum and Habakkuk and Micah, those guys. These Old Testament prophets, they're basically preaching a one word message. Repent, you know, they, and they're all stealing each other's sermons. And they're, they're showing up in a town and it's like, all right, yeah, thank you. Good to see you. Welcome. Have a seat. Repent. Let's close in prayer, right? That's basically how it went. And uh, so then uh, a little later on, you get uh, John the Baptist just bumbles out of the woods looking like he was raised by wolves. And he starts preaching. And what's his message? Repent. Jesus uh, was baptized by John the Baptist, and as soon as he was baptized, and this back to our verse, Matthew 4, 17, it started from then on. Well, what's that point that it's talking about from, from when on? It's from the, point, the moment of his baptism. It basically, you know, John baptizes him, Jesus comes out of the water, and from then on he preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus sends the disciples out to preach, Guess what their message was? Repent. Paul preached, he, he said, preach to all men everywhere. Repent. Paul tells Timothy, a young pastor who Paul is mentoring and you know, doing some coaching with, and he tells Timothy, correct those who are, are opposed to God so that perhaps God will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And by the way, that's a great way to pray for someone that you know, maybe someone in your family, friend, whatever, but somebody whose life has kind of gone sideways and you're just like, I don't even know what to pray. This is a great thing to pray. Pray that God would grant that person repentance. Also, one of the early churches, one of the first churches, this is in uh, the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, this church was their passion for God and their service that one at one time had burned so bright and hot and they had fallen away from that, and all of that had grown cold. And Jesus said to them, basically, yeah, you want to get back to that place? Yeah, I want you to also. Here's what you do. Remember from where you have fallen and repent. Repent. So this message of repentance is Bible-wide. And what does it tell us then about repentance? What does it tell us about God? First of all, it tells us that repentance is God's design. He thought it up. It originated with him. He blazed the trail and, and carved out the path for us to return to him so that there would be a clear way out and a clear way back to him out of the prisons of our own making. That's what God did. It's his design. Also, it tells us that it's very close to the heart of God, repentance is. It matters to him. Repentance is close to God's heart because we, people, are close to the heart of God. And so he designed a way for people to initially connect to him 
through the first act of repentance and then reconnect with him many times after that. And it also tells us something else, and this is so great. It tells us that God wants people to repent. He is not harsh with this and, and, you know, like angry preacher dude screaming and pointing his face like, boy, you better see what I have in store for you if you don't repent. No, that's not God. Listen to what Peter said. And keep in mind, Peter is a guy who had to do some serious repentance in his life before he said this. He said, the Lord isn't really slow, being slow about his promise, as some people think. You know, it's like, yeah, Jesus made some promises and it's like, yeah, we're, we're waiting any time now. You know, some, some people think he's being slow about it. He said, he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God wants this. You see, repentance is good. Repentance is a gift. An opportunity to repent is God's grace to us. It is not God's punishment on someone who would dare to try to secure a little fun or joy in their lives as I once thought. Rather, it is the pathway that God has designed that leads us to real life, always leading us to something better. You know, Paul encountered some people who were in rebellion against God and living in rebellion against God, and uh, Paul pleaded with them to repent. But his pleading with them is what I I want you to notice how that pleading actually sounded. Again, he's not angry preacher dude pounding his pulpit and, you know, pointing in people's faces and shouting at them, repent or else. Listen to what Paul said to these people in Romans chapter 2. He said, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to lead you to repentance or to turn you from your sin? It is God's kindness, not his wrath, not his uh, anger, not his disappointment in me, not his judgment. It is his kindness that leads us to the place of repentance. It is his kindness that leads us to opportunities to cooperate with him in his efforts to transform us. This is why grace is so amazing. Excuse me, repentance is so amazing. Grace is amazing too. But this is why repentance is so amazing and world-rocking. This is why I hope that by the end of this message, you'll see that word repent and repentance in a different light, in the place of that, you know, uh, preacher, you know, saying it to the crowd. I hope that you'll be able to imagine a loving God softly, tenderly saying the word to you, repent. Because when God says repent, he's saying, I want you back. He's saying, it is not too late. He's saying, I'll never give up on you. I will be relentless in my pursuit of you, so great is my love. He is saying that the life that I have for you is so much better than anything that you could ever arrange for yourself. Because every time he says repent, 
It is his gracious offer to lead us to something better. And that is beautiful. That is the power to bring real life change. That brings hope. So, who is repentance for? Who needs to repent? And I'm going to give you the answer and then I'll explain a bit. Who needs to repent? The answer is simply everyone. Repentance is for everyone. Now, let me be clear. I don't know where uh, you are in your spiritual journey. It doesn't matter if, if you uh, don't know Jesus and right now today want nothing to do with him or if you are a committed follower of Christ and, and you have been for a long time. If you are in one of those places or anywhere in between, repentance is for everyone. So when it comes to following Jesus, I think that there are basically four places that I've been able to identify in my own journey, you know, four uh, stages, if you will, that I have experienced along the road of my own life and uh, that I'm going to talk about here. And I think that everyone in the room, as we go through them, will be able to identify with one of them, either where you are today or looking back and being like, oh yeah, I remember that place. Right? But everyone will be able to identify with one of these places as relates to following Jesus. The first one we'll call this. I'm not a follower, and I know it. Right? I mean, you're just not interested. Uh, it's not for me, for whatever reason, and there are many, many reasons that people don't give their lives to Christ, but uh, this person simply does not want a relationship with Jesus right now. And like, if your life was like a house, then around your yard and your fence, it'd be, you know, posted, keep out, no trespassing, you know, especially Jesus, keep out, right? So second, I'm religious, but I'm not a follower, right? Now, I really get this one because this is my story, and I'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment, but it basically goes like this. Since I can check all the right boxes and... You know, since I'm scoring really high on my religion and morality and ethics evaluations, since that's true of me, then I must be a follower, right? But this is all based on the wrong assumption that God wants me to perform for him. And if I do a good job performing for him, and I do the things I'm supposed to do, and I avoid the things I'm supposed to avoid mostly, then I must be okay. Because what else would God ever ask of me if I'm, a, unless, you know, if I'm being a good person? And the heartbreaking thing about this person, and again, this was me, right? The heartbreaking thing about this person is that they are deceiving themselves because they think that they don't need to repent when they really do. They think that everything's fine when it's really not. Third place we'll call, I'm a follower, but, right? Now this means I'm a follower, but there are parts of my life that if I'm honest are just going to be closed off to God. There are some rooms in my life and in my house of my life that Jesus is just not allowed to go into. I've got them locked and I've got the key. It's just, this person says, God, you can have about 80% of my life, right? And compared to what some other 
Christians I know are giving you, this is pretty good. And you should be pretty proud of me because 80% is a pretty high number. And uh, so 80% of my life, Jesus, that should keep you occupied and keep you busy. But the other 20%, I've got my own agenda for that. In other words, I'm a follower, but I'm going to keep my hands on the steering wheel of my life for now. And then lastly, this place, I'm a committed follower. This person is a Jesus follower, and they know it. They've counted the cost, and they have made Jesus the leader of their life. And it doesn't mean they're perfect. Nobody ever gets there, right? There never comes a day in our spiritual journey when we have nothing more to repent of. But they've experienced the wholeness and the transformation of character that repentance brings, and they want more, right? This is the, this is the um, I want more of Jesus approach to life. This person is all in with Christ, nothing held back. Now, no matter which of the four places that we just talked about that you identify with most, Right now, we're right back to this. Repentance is for everyone. No matter where you found yourself in one of those four places, repentance is the next step in every case. I thought when I was 19 years old that I was a follower of Jesus. When I was 17 or 18, if you would have asked me, Jeff, are you a committed follower of Jesus? I would have said, yeah, yes, I am. But my yes was based solely on externals, such as, you know, I bowed my head and said some words sometime. One time somebody, when I was really young, like two years old, somebody gave me some words to repeat after them, and I did that. And then, so I I must be a follower of Jesus, right? I mean, I said the words. Um, you know, I faithful church attendance, and I'm grateful to be from a family that where church attendance and, and being involved in a community of faith was a really, really high priority, and uh, we lived that way. It was most of my social life was at church, and we were at church for Sunday school, Sunday morning, and um, for those of you who don't know what Sunday school is, maybe you should visit some other churches sometime, but... Uh, uh, there's, there was Sunday school, and then we had the morning service, right? And we don't do three like, like here at Crosswinds, but we, we, had, uh, we had one Sunday morning service that everybody came to, and then we came back Sunday night for Sunday night service. And some of you will remember when churches used to do that. And then we came back Wednesday for Wednesday night prayer meeting, right? And then I was back another night for Awana, and I had all these little, you know, sparkly little gems and patches all over my Awana vest, Right? Some of you are laughing. You, if, if you know what an Awana vest is, good for you. Treat yourself to another donut on your way out this morning. But, and I, I went to all the camps. I, you know, was, it came up through the youth group. I mean, I was baptized. I mean, I went down in the water and came back out. I have to be a genuine follower, right? But then the question was put to me, do you really know Jesus? Is there a real relationship here or is it just based on a bunch of external stuff? Like, you know, are you just doing, do do you know Jesus? Are you just, you know, doing Jesus things, right? And as a 19-year-old in a moment of brutal honesty and clarity, 
I had to answer, no, I'm not. And so I had to repent. I had plenty of morality. I had plenty of religion. I had uh, you know, plenty of, of ethics. And I, compared to other people, I was a good person. But I did not have Jesus. And I needed to take that initial step in my life of repentance. And that day, in June of 1993, I owned my faith in Jesus. And I gave up on trying hard. And I still try hard, but you know what I mean? Not to secure my right relationship with God. I, I gave up religion and I gave up checking off the boxes to try to be a good person. And I became a follower for the first time. And that was the day that was my first step in cooperating with God in his efforts to transform me. You know, I love something that John Eldridge said. He said, being a good man will kill you. And that is so true. And I know exactly what he's talking about because that's my story. I could check all the boxes. I was a good person compared to everybody around me. I was a good person, but you know what? I was dead inside. Dead. The call to repent is not a call to be good. It is a call to life. It is a call to connect in relationship with a God who wants to lead me over and over and over again to something better. So, what do we do with all of this? What is the to-do for today's uh, message? The, the to-do list for all of us, no matter which of those four places you identified most with, the to-do for all of us is to repent. Right? Not shocking that that would be our to-do, and here I am, you know, stealing the sermon from those Old Testament prophets. But... It's to respond to God's invitation to something better. You see, at the time Jesus said, repent and turn for the kingdom of heaven is near, at the time he said that, for those people at that time, this was Jesus' invitation to turn to God for the first time. Change your ways and embrace kingdom living. It was an invitation to connect with God for the first time, if you will. But after that initial repentance, think of my own story. You know, there was a time I, I had to take that initial step. But after that step, you repent many, many more times in life after that. I must still continue to repent even after I become a follower of Jesus. And you know why? Because even after I repented and became a follower in June of 93, even after I did that, God has never stopped graciously inviting me to better things. He never stops. He will never stop pursuing us relentlessly, inviting us to cooperate with him so that our character can be transformed. So for the person who is not a follower of Jesus, and you know it, Repentance is God's invitation to connect with him. It is his invitation to receive his free gift of salvation, to make him the leader of your life, to repent from life without him. 
That's what God would be calling you to do today. He has something so much better for you than you could ever achieve through your own strength or your own self-effort. And for the person who's already a follower, God says, cooperate with me in my efforts to transform you. Okay, so we get it, right? Okay, I see maybe repentance isn't uh, something that's as bad as I thought it was. And uh, okay, I, I know I need it. All right, now, what, and, and I know you're telling me to do it. Now, how do we do it? What does it look like in our lives? How do we get to the place where we're saying, yesterday I did A, but today I'm doing B? How do we get to that place? Yesterday I chose this, but today I'm choosing this. The way this works is called the replacement principle. It's the replacement principle. Now, remember that repentance is when I cooperate with God and his efforts to transform me. I have to cooperate with him. It is, you know, I don't just sit there and and God just zaps me with lasting life change. It doesn't work like that. It's a process and it requires something of me. I must cooperate. It's true that God is the one who does the transforming, but I have a responsibility and a role to play in the process. And what I must do and what my responsibility is, is the replacement principle. I must replace in my life the ungodly pursuits. I must replace those with godly ones. I must replace what is toxic with what is healthy. You see, it's not enough to simply stop doing something. I can be a thief and I can stop stealing. That's great. That's a great step to take. You know, good for me. But I haven't replaced it with anything. And so it is extremely likely that it just give it a little time and I'm going to be right back in that place where I started, probably even worse. So it's not enough to simply stop. Stopping is a great start, but it doesn't go far enough. It doesn't go even close to far enough. That sinful habit or that rebellious attitude must be replaced with what is God-honoring and healthy. Now, just to show you that I'm not just throwing pop psychology at you this morning, the replacement principle straight out of Scripture. I stole it right from Paul. This is what he said. If you, I just gave it a name. I'm sure in Greek somewhere there's, you know, replacement principle is a translation somewhere. But if you are a thief, quit stealing. It's like, wow. Thank you, Paul. Right? If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Instead, Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear you. Get rid of all bitterness and rage, anger, harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Here's our word again. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You You see that there in the text? It's stop doing that, don't do that, instead do this. That word instead is the replacement principle at work. 
in a person's life? And I'm going to ask you this question in, in just in the quietness there of your own seat. You just answer it. What are the insteads in my life? What are the used tos? The person who is truly connected with God will have a trail of insteads in their rearview mirror of their life. You see, this is the way that I knew that I was not connected to God in the way that I needed to be. This is how I knew that there was no real relationship there because when the question was put right to me, okay, you say you know Jesus, fine. What difference has knowing him made in your life? And there was not one instead that I could point to. Not one. It was all about the external. Things that you don't even have to be a Christian to do. Go to church, read a Bible, memorize a verse, right? There were no insteads in my life. You see, the way that a person knows that they have truly repented is that they can say, I used to do that, I used to be that, but now I am this. I used to steal, but now I work hard and I give generously. I used to be a habitual liar, but now, uh, but, but I stopped lying and, and then I turned from that and I started living in another direction and I became, and God transformed me into an honest man. And now, I don't lie anymore. Instead, I tell the truth to people and it really bothers me when I don't, right? The replacement principle shows that I have cooperated with God in his ongoing efforts to transform me and, and I've got a growing list of used tos and insteads to show that. And now my character looks more like his than ever before. And that is what repentance is. I'm not the same man I was 10 years ago. And in 10 years, I don't want to be the same man I am today. God is still, I, I am still in process. God is still changing me and he is still extending that invitation to me to give me and lead me to something better. Even right now in my life, in this season of my life, I am repenting of some specific things and I'm undergoing this process of change. Uh, I'll just uh, share it with you. In, so my default, especially with my children, I hate to say that this is true, but is uh, sometimes I can be quick-tempered. Sometimes I, I get easily irritated you know, it's like, hey, Dad, let me tell you about this video game I'm playing. They're telling me all these words, and it's like my eyes are getting heavy, you know. My heart rate's dropping to dangerously low places. And, uh, and just, you know, and it just irritates me. And, I, and I'm not as patient as I want to be, and, and sometimes I'm impatient. Now, it's better than it used to be. Thank God, and I've been undergoing this change, but I'm just going to be straight up honest. I do still struggle with it. You know what my dream is? My dream is that in two or three years that my sons will get along. But in addition to that, <laughs> my, my dream is that they'll have a conversation one day that goes something like this. You remember 
My dad seemed to be angry a lot. Remember when he used to get irritated with us over the smallest things? You remember how impatient he used to be? He hasn't done that in a long time. He's a different man. Man, that's my dream. And so in this season of my life right now, I'm responding to God's invitation to something better in this specific area of my life. This is an instead that is right now out my front windshield, but will be in my rearview mirror after God has taken me through the process. I'm confident that I will get there and that it, and that it will be a used to and an instead. And after that, God will graciously invite me to cooperate with him in his efforts to transform me in another area of my life. And on and on and on it will go until I'm dead and gone and I am with him and I need no more repentance. Every time God says repent, it is a gracious invitation to something better. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is the essential message of Jesus. And, you know, maybe you're ready to do that today. Doesn't matter which stage you're in. Maybe, you know, if you're a follower, maybe God's brought something to your mind like, yeah, this right here. You, this is what we need to work on before there's anything else. Maybe you have something that you want to see changed in your life, but God's like, nope, we need to change this first. Man, I've got stories from my own life about exactly that. Maybe you're one of the people who are in the place of, I don't know Jesus, and I'm not a follower, and I don't want to be. Well, if we don't want to see you keep on going through self-effort, trying to uh, arrange for yourself what only God can give you. There came that moment where I was like, I'm not a follower and I want to be. And if, if that's you today, you can do that right where you sit. You don't need to wait five more minutes. That is something that you can do anytime you believe on him and put your trust and your faith in him. Your sins will be forgiven and you have just started cooperating with God. You've just taken that initial step of repentance and started cooperating with God in his efforts to transform you over the rest of your life, to transform your character. I would urge you that while today is still called today, Scripture says, while today is still called today to respond to God however you need to. And, and maybe you're not quite ready yet. You know, maybe uh, today isn't the day of repentance for you, but you feel yourself warming up to it a little bit. Maybe coming to Crosswinds and being part of the Checking Out Jesus series. Maybe reading the book of John with the, the rest of the church. You're warming up to it a little bit, but you're like, I'm not quite there. Not quite there. That's fine. That's fine. We're not trying to shove anything down your throats. We're not going to pass the offering bags around again. Okay? We, all we want for you is to keep coming throughout this series. You can check out Jesus some more. It's okay. God can handle it. He's not going to stop relentlessly 
pursuing relationship with you. And lastly, the way that we can know Jesus and about what he said, what he did, is through Scripture. And while there are four Gospels, Doug challenged us last week to just read the Gospel of John. Chapter a day from last week, if you're just going to start this week, it's going to be some catch-up, but I guarantee you this, there isn't one person in this room who is so busy that we don't have time to read two chapters from the book of John in a day, you know? Get up 10 minutes earlier. There's your, there's your time. <laughs> um, but as Doug challenged us to do through the rest of the month of the month, let's check out Jesus for ourselves on the pages of Scripture. Let's respond to John's invitation to come and see Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, that you love us so much that you do not want us to stay the same. Trying to change us is not a punishment on us. And I pray, Father, that you would rid us of this idea that repentance is discipline, that repentance flows out of your anger and your disappointment in us when it's so far from the truth. You call us to repent because you want to invite us to something better because you are the author of real life. And you know that we are life-seeking creatures. And because you know where life is found, you extend that generous offer to us to, to uh, join you where real life can be found. Father, I pray that you would uh, help us to implement this replacement principle in our lives this week, even today. Just simple question. God, what needs to be replaced in my life. Help me. I want to change. I want to be different. God, I ask that you would do this in our hearts because if you don't do it, then it won't get done. Transform us. Change us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.